This audio program is a ministry of Clear Note Fellowship. For more information, go to clearnotefellowship.org. Uh, in the days leading up to this conference, I learned that this particular breakout session would likely be well attended. And so I started to ask myself, why would somebody want to come and hear about spiritual gifts? And uh, there are a number of possibilities that could be proposed. Uh, perhaps you're here because you are just simply curious about spiritual gifts. You don't know much about it. You've heard that there is such a thing called spiritual gifts and you want to learn a little more. Um, Others of you perhaps already know what spiritual gifts are. Maybe you've studied the topic, and maybe you've convinced you know what your spiritual gift is, and you're uh, looking for me to confirm what you already know about yourself. All right, maybe, maybe that's, that's your reason for coming. Others of you are maybe just want to be helpful. You've heard about spiritual gifts, gifts and you think, well... Maybe they're supposed to help me to be helpful in the church. And so you're eager to serve and you're here because you're trying to figure out where you fit in. Well, my hope today is that you will be helped, whatever your motivation for coming. Um, so as we begin, I want to pray as we start our time. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your church. We thank you for the diversity within your church. We do thank you for the gifts that you have poured down into your church, into us individually and us corporately. We thank you especially for your Son, Jesus Christ, and for your Holy Spirit that you've given us to, to lead us and to direct us and guide us. We pray that your Holy Spirit would do that now, strengthen me for my work, and give us tender consciences uh, as we hear your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> In Ephesians 5, Scripture teaches us that the relationship between a husband and a wife is like the relationship between Christ and his bride, the church. It says that Christ gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless." And I'm going to do something now that I did in my earlier session. And, I, and the reason is, if there's one thing that I want you to walk away from this weekend with, it's a vision for the glory of the church of Jesus Christ. And so my question to you as we begin is, when you think of the church of Jesus Christ, do you think that it's glorious? Is that the word that comes to your mind? It should. When you think of the church that you attend, all right, getting a little more personal, a little more particular, warts and all, do you think it's glorious? Well, you should. Do you get a thrill when you read Jesus' promise that the gates of hell will not prevail against his bride, the church? You should. I hope that you leave this weekend with a love for the church that exceeds your love for your sports team, your TV show, your comfy chair, 
I hope you are energized to give your best work and you give your best attention and energy for the church of Jesus Christ. Because it is glorious and Jesus will present to himself a bride on that day when we celebrate the wedding feast of the Lamb. So I hope you catch that vision this weekend. Now our topic for this particular session, spiritual gifts, has everything to do with the glory of the church. And to put it more pointedly, spiritual gifts has everything to do with the glory of the church and nothing to do with the glory of individual Christians within the church. And what do I mean by that? What I hope to show you today is that spiritual gifts are gifts of the Spirit that are given to individuals for the express purpose of building up the body. In other words, they are given by God for the benefit of others, for the building up of His bride. When God gives gifts to men and women, He expects them to be stewards of those gifts, not to hoard them, and certainly not to preen before others as though they were something special. These gifts are from God, and they exist to glorify God by bringing glory to His bride. Indeed, 1 Corinthians 14.12 could very well be the theme verse of our time together today. It says, So also you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, and I assume that's true of you since you're here, seek to abound for the edification of the church. So if you were coming here to, so that you could be told how to properly identify your spiritual gift, you may be disappointed. I think we will talk about that. Um, but as I said when we started, I don't have a test for you. And you may learn some things you weren't expecting about identifying your spiritual gift. You might also be disappointed if you feel as if you already have a lock on this spiritual gift stuff. You know, you, you figured out what your spiritual gift is and you're holding on to it very tightly. If that's you... Frankly, I'll be honest with you, I'm hoping to shake you up a little bit. Hope that I can maybe loosen that grasp just a little bit and remind you that this gift is not yours. It's a, it's a gift that you're to be a steward of. But we'll get to that. Now, my purpose, of course, is not to discourage you. Just like the Apostle writes in, um, in Ephesians, my aim is to build you up. And so let's jump in. First, what is a spiritual gift and where do we learn about them? Do any of you know what the Greek word is uh, that is translated gift? Anybody? It's got to be somebody? Nobody? It's one that is a common word that's used in English, actually. Maybe that gives it away. No? Charisma. There you go. Thank you, Mr. Alex. Charisma. Now, um, in, in the New Testament, that word charisma is translated as gift or free gift or spiritual gift. Okay, It's used numerous times. Um, it is, of course, where we get our English word charisma, but I want to be very careful here. It's not the same thing as the English word charisma. You know how words change over time and so forth? Well, you know, we're talking about 2,000 years of separation and two different languages, so you can see the connection, but I just want you to be very careful. Charisma in English is not the same thing as 
charisma in Greek in the New Testament. You know, in, in, in English, charisma refers to, uh, it means, and here's a definition I found, compelling attractiveness or charm that can inspire devotion in, or in others. So, for instance, if someone is charismatic in the English language sense of the term, it's somebody who inspires devotion or loyalty in others because of their gifts and graces. This is often true of good leaders, right? They've got a certain amount of charisma that attracts people to them and makes them want to follow them. That's what the English word means. Here in the New Testament Greek, however, it's something that's different, okay? It's, it's altogether different, and I don't want you to confuse the two. You can, um, in Greek, it means gift of grace. That is, a gift from God given by His grace. And as I said, the word charisma is used in numerous places in the New Testament, and it's not always translated spiritual gift. Let me give you some examples. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 12.6, Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, and so on. 1 Corinthians 7, 7. This is Paul speaking about marriage and singleness. He says, Yet I wish that all men were even as I myself am. However, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. 1 Corinthians 12. This is, uh, that chapter contains probably the largest list of spiritual gifts you know, um, listed out. And it's, of course, this word is mentioned numerous times in that chapter. In verse 4 it says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And then in verse uh, 31 in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, But earnestly desire the greater gifts. Right? 1 Timothy 4.14, it says, Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. And my final example that I'll give, 1 Peter 4.10, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So this word charisma is used, it means gift of God's grace, but it's used for a number of, in a number of ways. It's used to refer to God's free gift of grace to sinners through Jesus Christ. It's used to speak of God's special graces given to believers to build up the church, what you might call spiritual gifts in particular. It's used uh, of that which is taught about God through human instruction. Um, it's used of a natural gift of continence, you know, consequent uh, upon the grace of God as creator. You know, God created everyone and he's given everyone natural abilities. This is a, our natural abilities are just as much gifts of God's grace as anything else. It's also used um, in reference to gracious deliverances granted in answer to the prayers of fellow believers, right? And so, 
as we talk about spiritual gifts today, there are four sections in Scripture in the New Testament that provide the lists of what we more specifically call spiritual gifts. The first is in Romans 12, which I've mentioned, uh, Romans 12. Then there's the extended one that I've mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12. And then there are lists in Ephesians 4 and 1 Peter 4. And so as we jump into this topic of spiritual gifts in particular, I want to point out some things that these various passages of Scripture have in common. We won't read all of them, but we'll read sections from each of them. First, I think it's very important to point out that whether this word is in one of these, uh, whether the, the gifts that are mentioned are in one of these specific lists of spiritual gifts, gifts or in something in some other passage, or if this word charisma is used in some other passage that doesn't list specifically spiritual gifts, my first point is that it's the same word, right? I think that's actually very significant. Um, and we'll get into, into why I think that's significant, but keep that in the back of your mind. It's the same word. This word charisma is, is used for gift, whether you're talking about the list of spiritual gifts or other kinds of gifts. My s- second, these gifts are all given by God. Now, some of them appear to be more miraculous than others. Uh, for instance, um, uh, in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, for instance, it, it talks about prophecy and the effecting of miracles, right? So some of them are very clearly miraculous, and some of them aren't. Um, but my point is that they are all given by God. It says in Ephesians 4, 1 to 6, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another, in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So regardless of whether the, the gift appears to be miraculous or, or whether it's more mundane, a more mundane gift, if you can call it that, it is a grace gift from God, and it's no less spiritual because it doesn't appear miraculous. It's all from the same source. The miracle of the gift is not what's significant here. In, in, uh, in 1 Corinthians 12, it's beginning with verse 4, it says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries, and the, the same Lord. There are varieties of, fe- of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And then, um, jumping, he, he lists the different gifts, and then jumping down to verse 11, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. 
So the miracle of God's gifts to the church is not the significant thing here, actually. My point in in talking about this, uh, pointing out that it's God who gives the gifts, is that what is being stressed here is not actually the, uh, uh, the particular gifts that are listed, but rather the giver who is significant, the giver of the gifts. He's the one who's significant. The point is not supernatural ability, but the power and grace of the giver, the Holy Spirit. It is God, the Holy Spirit, who gives these gifts to men, and they are entirely of grace. You didn't earn them. You don't have a right to them. You are simply a steward. In other words, these gifts aren't about you. They're about God manifesting Himself, demonstrating His grace, His power, and His love. Third, Another important point as we look through these different lists of spiritual gifts is that the point of listing these different gifts is to demonstrate, if you look at every single one of these lists of spiritual gifts, so 1 Corinthians 12, uh, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, and the other one, um, I knew I was going to catch myself there, 1 Peter, thank you. Um, it's, the point is to demonstrate the goodness of the diversity within the body. His point is not to provide some kind of exhaustive list of spiritual gifts, but simply to make the point that the body of Christ is diverse, right? And how, what's my backing for this? Because you know, I think it's very common for us to approach the topic of spiritual gifts by opening up our Bibles and seeing the list and trying to figure out where we fit in, right? Where's my superpower? You know, I'm going to refer to it that way numerous times because I think that's how we approach it. We say, what's my superpower? And where do I fit in this list here? Um, But of these four sections of Scripture that list spiritual gifts, there's a couple things to note. No list is exhaustive, right? No two lists are all in the same order. Some of the gifts mentioned uh, in the lists are not mentioned anywhere else in Scripture, right? And so my point is that we can't approach these lists as if this is the definit- these are the definitive spiritual gifts in the church, but rather... These are an example of the diversity of gifts that God gives to His church. And we see this diversity in Romans 12, for example. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith. If service, in his serving. Or he who teaches, in his teaching. Or he who exhorts, in his exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Right? We have different gifts and we're all supposed to use those gifts. That diversity is glorious. It's one of the, the awesome things about the church of Jesus Christ. But the point is the diversity, not the particular gifts. I don't want you to get hung up on that. Number four is that you'll notice in each section where he lists particular spiritual gifts, 
the apostle is very careful to emphasize the unity of the body. Diversity in the body is meant to unify and not break it up. It is meant to build up and not tear down. Right? This is uh, one of the glories of the church of Jesus Christ, that we have unity and diversity. This is, uh, we have both, right? Romans 12, 4-5, For just as we have many members in one body, and all, are, all the members do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one, another, one of another. 1 Corinthians 12, 24-25, But God has so composed the body giving more abundant honor to that member which lacks, so that there may be no division in the body, but what? That there be unity? No, it says, but that the members may have the same care for one another. All right? There should be unity, but I'll get to the care for one another here in a minute. Ephesians 4, uh, beginning with verse 11. It says, And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of God. Right? So, we are... To be built up into unity. The purpose of this diversity of gifts is actually to bring unity to us. And what is it that we're united around? We talked about this in my previous session because my previous topic was uh, fellowship, right? And fellowship is always around something. And we've uh, what I what I said in my previous session is that fellowship has become. The word fellowship is like the word marriage, you know. We now have marriage between two people of the same sex. How is that even possible? Well, it's possible because they've, we've redefined what the word means. In the same way, we've redefined the word fellowship in such a way of to take, take out of it any objective criteria uh, that God has given it to it in his word. And so... When, I, when we talk about the, the purposes of the spiritual gifts, their diversity, bringing unity, the question is, what are they bringing unity around? And we see the answer to that in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. It says, if I continue from what I just read, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful speak, scheming, But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So the unity that we have is a unity of faith, unity of knowledge, unity of growing into a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Jesus Christ. The purpose of spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, is edification of the body, growth and maturity, and greater unity 
around Jesus Christ. Now, I'm convinced, as I was preparing for this talk, I, I, I really wasn't expecting to end up where I've ended up, but I'm convinced that this term, spiritual gifts, has taken on a, a very precise technical meaning that I don't think exists in Scripture. Um, again, God is the giver of these, of, of these gifts, and His purpose in giving them is to glorify Himself, and yet we've, we really have taken these gifts and taken them to mean sort of like superpowers, you know? Like, uh, what is my spiritual gift? And what's the special thing that I can bring to the church that legitimates me, that makes me useful or helpful in the church? Now, I don't want you to mishear what I'm saying. I'm fully convinced obviously, that spiritual gifts are very real and God has given them to His church. But spiritual gifts are not superpowers. You don't have a spiritual gift superpower that legitimates your your presence with the Avengers or whatever the latest movie is. It's also not true that the more weird or supernatural a spiritual gift is, the, the better it is or the more spiritual it is. And I think this point... Um, about spirituality uh, uh, is useful to stop and, and talk about for a minute. The con- it's, it's important as we look in, uh, in 1 Corinthians 12 what the context of that chapter is. You know, if, you, if you look at the book of 1 Corinthians as a whole, what is Paul doing? Who is he speaking to? What, what's going on in 1 Corinthians? Um, if you remember, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, there's arguing about who's following who, right? Some people said they were following Apollos. Some people said uh, Paul. So who, who else? Cephas. There you go. So they were arguing about who they were following, all right? In 1 Corinthians 3, um, Paul even says, I cannot speak to you as spiritual men, but as to infants in Christ, right? This is quite a rebuke. In 1 Corinthians 4, you have this uh, incredible passage where he's just mocking them, right? He's making fun of them for thinking that they are wise when, and pretty awesome when they're not. They think they're super spiritual, they've got things figured out, and Paul just makes fun of them says, you guys really aren't all that cool. You're not as special as you think you are, and you don't have all the special superpowers you think you have. Um, In 1 Corinthians 6, he has to tell them to glorify God in their bodies, right? Because they thought that their bodies were dirty and nasty, and they were super spiritual. They were above all that. Your body, he says, is a temple of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 7, he has to tell them to stop depriving each other of of physical sexual intimacy. You know, he's reminding them, you guys aren't above that. It's not, you're not past that. Stop depriving each other and give yourselves to each other so that you don't sin. In 1 Corinthians 8, uh, he, he 
he has to remind them that knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And then, of course, this whole section in 1 Corinthians 12 and then 13 and 14 is an extended diatribe trying to get them to understand that their particular gifts are meant to edify the church through love. And then you get to chapter 15. And do do any of you remember what he has to say in chapter 15? You know, they don't believe in the resurrection, right? Somehow they're too spiritual for... Uh, to hope in the resurrection. Maybe they're like the... Um, uh, oh, goodness. The, the who? Sadducees? Yeah, I was thinking of uh, those philosophers. What are, the who? The, the Stoics, maybe? Yeah, they're like Stoics. They're, they're tough. They don't need to hope in heaven, but they're tough. They don't need to hope in the resurrection. So my point is, this whole letter is geared, is, is trying to speak to people who are hyper-spiritual, who are really into figuring out, uh, or into their own spirituality. And, and Paul's entire purpose is to take them down a notch and say, hey guys, you're missing, you're missing the forest for the trees. And, and answer the question, who really are the spiritual? Who are the spiritual among you? The question needs answering. Because those who think they're spiritual often aren't. The super spiritual ones aren't really the real spiritual ones. And, you know, I was thinking about this in particular, um, about the, the women that we have. Well, and of course, it's not simply applied to women, but I was thinking particularly about the women we have in our church who have given themselves to raising children, having children, and raising children, you know? If perhaps you're here and you're trying to figure out what your spiritual gift is and how you can serve the body, you'll be tempted to think less of the work of, you know, cleaning up after your children, rebuking them, correcting them, changing them, doing all these mundane tasks, right? And, of course, it's not just applicable to women. Um, uh, Men have the temptation to look at the mundane, everyday tasks that they do and sort of think little of them and not see them in the bigger picture. But my, my point here is that the super spiritual people aren't necessarily the ones that go around with superpowers and are all, as Tim refers to it, airy spirits, but rather are the ones who are faithful to love the body. And, for instance, in the the case of women, um, you know, care for for the children. Building up, uh, caring for your children is building up the church. Being hospitable is building up the church. Making food for your family is is, is building up the church. The work that our men do you know, maybe it's uh, uh, everything from preaching to uh, setting up chairs to doing computer work to writing to editing. I mean, there's just, there's, if you've been here for any length of time, that you know that there's an enormous 
range of things, of places where people can serve and build up the church. And my point is that, that the spiritual ones aren't the ones who are off meditating somewhere in the woods, but are the ones who are doing the day-to-day mundane work faithfully, day in and day out. And in fact, I think, um, I think it's actually very dangerous to even ask your, to even say, I know what my spiritual gift is. Now, granted, I think it's very important for us to kind of know what our gifts and abilities are, okay? It is good for, for you to know that, and it's good for you to allow other people to speak into your life about what your gifts and abilities are. Uh, one of the things that's very important on this topic of spiritual gifts is that you don't hold on to your, what you think your gifts are so very tightly. Um, so the, the reason I'm saying that it's very dangerous for you to say, I know what my spiritual gift is, is, is a number of reasons. First, uh, we are tempted when we do that to think that that somehow gives us a pass on the things that we're called to do. So for instance, I'm picking on the women a little bit, but... Scripture commands women to be hospitable, right, at home. And there are some women who are more gifted at hospitality than others. But that doesn't mean that you're not commanded to be hospitable. And in the same way, there are some men who are natural-born leaders and who can lead their families, they can lead churches, they can lead armies, they can lead maybe nations. And other men aren't don't have those gifts, and yet they're commanded to lead. And so my, my point is that it's dangerous to say that I know what my spiritual gift is and hold on to it because you, you feel like you have a pass on the things that God has commanded you to do, but that's not the case. You should know what your gifts and abilities are, but not so that you can hold on to them and, and, and act like that's all you, you're required to do, all you're responsible for. Another danger um, of identifying a particular gifting of yours and, and holding on very tightly to it is that we use this idea of spiritual gifts to validate our self-worth. Um, and I'm convinced that we do this because we're constantly comparing ourselves with others and we're measuring our self-worth uh, on whether or not we can actually do something, at least one thing, better than somebody else, right? You ever done this? Well, they can do most things better than I can, but at least I got this one thing that I'm better at than they are. Another way um, to come at that, uh, or let me ask you this question in light of that. What if you weren't better at anything than somebody else, right? What if that other person was better at you than ever, at everything? What if you had no advantage over them anywhere? Do the words from Scripture apply any less to you? 
Would the promises of Scripture apply any less to you? Let, let me ask it another way. And this, I think, uncovers the pride of the question. Would you be devastated? Would your, would your picture of your own self-worth be obliterated if you learned that someone else was better than you at everything? Brothers and sisters, I think this is often the case with us, and it's just pride, right? This is just pride. You know, you, you've seen the superhero movies, right? And man, they're just perfect. You get, I, you know, I never saw the Avengers. I heard it was good. But you get all these, super, these superheroes, and they all have their, like, special thing, right? And no matter how dumb it is, their special thing is, at some point in the movie, they have to use it, right? Because it'll get them out of this big jam, and it'll be like, oh, wow. You know, the ability to eat hot dogs is, you know, all of a sudden useful. You know, and it, like, validates their entire existence. Um, and I fear that, that we uh, are, are the same way about spiritual gifts, right? We're, like, we're standing around trying to figure out where we can be validated and where we're going to, to fit in and prove that we're useful, that we're uh, important. You know, I was talking to Mary Lee about this talk, and she um, said that her, it was, it was either her father or father-in-law, uh, gave a talk on um, God's will for your life a ton. Everyone wanted to go to it. You know, what is God's will for my life? And uh, he said at the end, near the end of his life that if he, had, if he could do it over, he wouldn't give that talk ever. And I think that uh, a talk on God's will for your life is very similar to a talk on God's spiritual gifts because um, we approach the two the same. You know, we, we're, we're envious, we're vain, and we want, to, we want to be, we're looking for that, you know, either that dream job or the idealized view of what it means to be in the church, to serve in the church. We want to, you know, we, we want to puff ourselves up. Um, we'll, we'll be happy if we could only figure out what our spiritual gift is, what our superpower is, and then how to use it best. But, brothers and sisters, again, I just want to point out that in all these lists that mention spiritual gifts, the point is not that each person is gifted, but that the Holy Spirit is manifested in a great number of ways. So again, the point is the variety of ways that God shows His power. Paul's purpose is to show variety, not to go into detailed exposition of the gifts themselves. And I'll, and I'll say again, our obsession about particular gifts, I'm afraid, is vanity. Now, as I'm saying all of this, you might be tempted to be crushed by what I'm saying. You might, say, you might be one of those who's just saying, I just wanted to be helpful. Like, what are, you, what are you doing there? I'm just trying to be helpful. You're beating up on me. Well, brothers and sisters, I'm not trying to beat up on you, okay? Um, you might ask, well, what am, what am I good for? Where do I contribute? And my answer to you is, uh, 
is to give an, an example of my daughter. I don't know if you've ever been around little children. They so often want to be helpful, right? And what becomes very clear is that their helpfulness is so much wrapped up in their desire to be involved, to do something, to touch. To, and that's all good, but any parent will tell you that often the case is that they're not actually being helpful and that when we do let them help, we're just accommodating them and could, frankly, we could have done it a lot faster and more efficiently ourselves. And so my point is that though she doesn't know it yet, my daughter is more concerned about herself than she is about the process or whatever the program that's going on. And so, um, in the same way, we do that kind of dance around grown men and women all the time, right? Have you ever had to dance around somebody who's felt insecure about their gifts and just wanted to be helpful? Now, I'll tell you, I've been that guy, right? Where I've wanted to be validated in my service, in my help, and so I've wanted to push myself forward, not because I felt, not because I was convinced that I was the best person for the job or whatever, but because I, I wanted to feel helpful, to feel like I had a purpose, and uh, feel needed, feel important. Um, I, I read a phrase as I was uh, um, preparing. Uh, you know, it's sort of like uh, a woman. You, uh, the phrase is, you know the objects of her kindness by their hunted expression. Right? You know the objects of her kindness by their hunted expression. The people who somebody wants to help feel hunted because the person's not actually that helpful, um, but they... But they they want to be validated. Now, so the, all of this is not meant to discourage you. And how is it possible that all of this is not meant to discourage you? Do you feel discouraged? How many of you feel discouraged? Not yet? Okay, good. I have no idea. Am I supposed to be done at 145? 145, yeah. Okay. Um, The way that you will ex escape from this trap is to learn what it means to be helpful. It's to learn what it means to edify the body, to love the body. And that is, it means that you're more concerned about the needs of others than you are about being validated in your gifts. It means that you're more concerned about the needs of others than you are about helping in the time and the place and the way that you want to be helpful. Now, this has application all over the place. Um, one of the applications is that we cannot hold too tightly to what we think our spiritual gifts are. Oh, man. Have you ever, being in a church, constantly we have people who feel like they have spiritual gifts in this thing. And so, therefore, they need to use this particular thing. And if they don't, it's a big problem. Well, brothers and sisters, that's not 
humble service. Now, that's not humble building up of the body of Christ. Even if you have a particular spiritual gift, let me just throw this at you. Even if you are particularly gifted in a certain way, that does not mean that you have a right to use that gift, even. Right? The point in all of this talk about spiritual gifts is mutual love for each other and the building up of the body. And so if you're not doing that, if, but if you're using your spiritual gifts here and there, but you're not doing that, then you're not using your spiritual gifts as they were intended. Our spiritual gifts exist in order for us to love one another and to build up the body of Christ. In 1 Peter 4, it says, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do as one speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. If everyone is going around wondering and amazing at your spiritual gifts, don't you think it's likely that maybe you're not using them the right way? In other words, if you bring glory to yourself with your spiritual gifts and not to God, is that not an indication that maybe something's wrong? Right? These gifts that God has given us are, exist to bring glory to Him and to His church and to build up His church. And so, someone who is properly using his spiritual gifts is going to vanish. It's almost going to be like they're not there. Right? You're, you're, they're going to be forgettable. And, and this is my question to you in our pride and our, in our vanity. Are you willing to be forgettable? Right? And brothers and sisters, we don't need our pride. We don't need our vanity. You know, we have the love of God through Jesus Christ. You don't, the more, you will be more and more helpful the more you forget about yourself and, and think and are concerned about others. And in fact, you know, I, we, we talked at the beginning about these tests, about identifying spiritual gifts. I'll tell you, the best way to identify your spiritual gift is to forget about yourself and to start considering other people. Because I promise you, immediately, if you start to show love to the brethren, your spiritual gifts will show up, and they'll show up in a powerful way. If you begin to love your brothers and sisters in Christ in the church, your spiritual gifts will, will be evident to everybody. And it's not, you're not going to be wondering what they are, you know, because they'll be in full effect. You'll be using them to their, to their max, and people will benefit from them and be grateful for them. It's no accident that in the extended section of 1 Corinthians, where the Apostle Paul is hammering away at these people that are super spiritual and telling them, look, guys, you know, you think you're spiritual? You don't love each other. You're fighting and bickering. You're not spiritual, Right? So in this, in this extended section where he's trying to take these spiritual people down a notch, 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, he has an interlude, right? There's an entire chapter that's an interlude. 
And what is it? It's the love chapter, right? And we often forget what the context of that chapter is uh, when we read it, you know, because it's, it's, it can end up being very sentimental. But I want to read 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 to 7 as we close. <clears throat> it says, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels... So tongues, right? This is a, one of the very specific spiritual gifts he had mentioned in verse 12, right? He's singling out spiritual gifts um, here as he's, he's contrasting them to, to, to love. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains... But do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, right, the gift of giving, of liberality, if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Brothers and sisters, he has to speak about love most pointedly, more pointedly perhaps than anywhere else in Scripture, right in this context of spiritual gifts, because it's right here where we're most tempted to be vain and selfish and, and self-aggrandizing, you know, self-promoting. <clears throat> we latch onto our gifts and we promote ourselves with them. But brothers and sisters, that's not what they're for. Let's not be arrogant. Let's not be proud. <clears throat> Don't be selfish and depressed because your gift isn't like someone else's. You know, we have a variety of gifts here. That's a glorious truth of, of the church of Jesus Christ. God has loved you. All right? God has shed his love abroad to you. And so now we're called to love each other with these gifts that we were, we were given. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we do thank you for the gifts you've given to us, Father. And I do pray that if there are folks here who are not thankful for their gifts, that you would show them that they should be thankful. You've given us so many good things, Father. You've poured into each of us gifts and abilities. And we pray that we would not think about ourselves, but that we would think about others. And that we would love our brothers and sisters in Christ genuinely, fervently from the heart, Father. We pray that we would use our gifts to build up your church and to glorify you. And not to build ourselves up, Father. Our pride is so big, Father. Father, and it grows, and we ask you, please forgive us for it. Help us to forget about ourselves and to love each other. We love you, Lord, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been a production of Clear Note Press. Please feel free to share this recording with others, but do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more resources like this, go to clearnotefellowship.org.